the young lady that I remember you as is this sweet... Well, okay, I wouldn't necessarily describe you as sweet. No. Thank you. Now I know you're in the same reality <laughs> as the rest of us. <laughs> Well, welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen. This is another edition of the Fortuitous Bites. I am your host, Lauren Miller. With me today is my sister, Lisa Moore. Hello. Hello, Lisa. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm so good. I'm so glad to be here with you. That's good. So... You call me Ren. <laughs> I don't know of a single person in the world that calls me Ren. Mm. You are the only one. Well, that's what I like. And, well, I mean, it's very special to me. It, uh, I hold it near and dear to my heart. Mm. Me too. But I'm curious why exactly. Is it, is it just better than lore? You know, like... <laughs> Yes, it has more of a ring. Well, see, the thing is, I like to have a special name for my loved ones. Something that is just mine. And when you say loved ones, you mean like... My most favorite people in the world, of course. (laughs) I mean, my kids, I have a special name for each of them. You know, my husband, of course. So, I mean, both of our sisters, I have a special name for them that they don't call each other. Really? Yes. Nettie and Laura. Uh Uh-huh. What do you call them? They're just silly things. Okay. Net or better. Net or better? Net or better. Didn't we <laughs> used to say spaghetti? Yes. Netty spaghetti? Netty spaghetti. Netty yes. spaghetti. I call her scatter sometimes. Scatter. Yeah. And then for Laura, I, I think I mainly just call her sissy. Sissy. Yeah. Well. She's my widow sis. It's funny because it's a common thing to give someone a special name especially when it's like a grandparent you know papaw mamaw you know like nani or whatever yeah Mm -hmm. yeah you make up some sort of special name that when you refer to them totally everybody knows who that is you're right um but it's usually only the people in that circle yeah i mean it speaks of significance right oh yeah even if it's a short period of time i think so it's not this amount of time. I mean, that can be a big part of it, but it's... It's, it's the significance it's of It's what time. it meant when you first called them that. What it meant then and what it evoked. And then when you call them that again. Yeah. And so if we're going back to the first time you called me Ren, you know, this little boy, what do you remember me as? It's hard because a lot of the time that you were a kid... You know, because you are how many how many years younger than me? How old are you? Forty six. Yeah, you're six years older than me. Is that it? Yeah. Are you kidding me? That seems. I'm turning forty this year. So yeah. much more. <laughs> I know. Holy cow! I know. That's so weird to me. Well, I'm turning forty seven this year. Okay. So you're so seven. seven years. Yeah, but seven. I think it's just enough that. I was too caught up. I was too caught up in my own. So figure by the time you were seven, right. I was entering the hardcore teenage girl years. Yeah. Which I entered when I was like, what? Let's be honest, nine. 
right? It's I true. Mean, I was, you know, you super the, precocious. You were the overachieving uh, uh, oldest. I just wanted to do my hair, you know, when yeah. I was in and first have grade. And lots of makeup oh, and get your course, ears pierced. And, always, yeah. Oh, <laughs> so, you know, I think I was too self-consumed to honestly pay much mind to my little younger brother. Yeah. But I do remember, I remember when I was a little bit older observing you from a position of more like, you know, I was a young mom by 21. So I started paying more attention and noticing you, noticing what you were doing. And yeah. I would have always described you as being nuts, s- super, super smart, maybe not like smart in the sense of like like to study but just very mechanically you know smart scientifically scientifically philosophically smart. yeah i i think i was a philosopher at a young age yeah i think so too yeah it's funny because the memories that i have of you are you know this young very delicate pristine mm-hmm. um you know, wouldn't wash your hair in cold water. No. And, you know, had these sort of standards for yourself. My scalp was too delicate. Yeah. The things that you prioritized were just not the things that the, that our family prioritized. I agree. You prioritized, you know, beauty. Yep. And etiquette. Mm-hmm. You know, and we were sort of like down home farm people <laughs> that came in with, you know, poop on our shoes and mud. <laughs> but and, come on. Yeah. We weren't like that. Well, mom wouldn't have let us be full on that. Okay. Dad would have been fine with that. Dad would have not even really noticed if we would have had dirty shoes or whatever. Mom tried to keep it at a bare minimum. She yeah. she refined us a ton. Yeah. That's but, that's true. But you were on a completely yeah, other level when I, it came to that sort of like neat and tidy and pristine. I remember when you were 16, you got a sort of like beauty set and it was this yes. silver, yeah. you know, mirror and it. brush. Really? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And it was just, I, I just remember that whole, like you were a ballerina. Yeah. You know, you had those point shoes and you had that sort of delicate elegance Mm -hmm. about you. Mm -hmm. And what the hell happened? (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I became a mom. (laughs) Uh, You know, I would like to think that life has rounded me. Helped you become more realistic? Yeah, because I look back on that and think, okay, on one hand... I do feel like self-acceptance for me was was very low during that time. You I mean, mean... I don't feel that I understood myself at all. Because I was so different from... I don't want to say the rest of you. I mean, my word, you know, I was... I was a member of the family. I understood the family culture and the rules and everything. But I just... I just... Uh, I, I didn't understand myself. I think... You know, we all observe ourselves to some extent. And I think I observed myself at the table saying things like, why does everybody have to eat so loud? (laughs) And thinking, why am I, what's wrong with me? You know, I mean, I think there really was an aspect of that. I was annoyed, but I was also 
trying to figure out why that even bothered me, you know, because that was the feedback I got was this shouldn't even bother you. I was conflicted. And I think learning to accept myself has only happened in the last 10 years, started 10 years ago. And exponentially more the closer you get to, to, to now. Yes. I think I've seen that quite a bit in you. When I knew you as a teenager, you really struggled to understand your place in the world. Yeah. You felt like your importance was sort of lost in our family. And perhaps you could capture that outside in outside relationships. For sure. Um, and primarily, you know, when you got married. Yep. Um, so young. You were 18 when you got married? 19. 19. Good Lord. Right. I feel like you had such a craving, such a desire for meaningfulness. Mm -hmm. inside of life and i feel that i think that's the affinity that i feel with you specifically Mm -hmm. is that i also struggled for meaningfulness and i grasped at the things that were closest to me it was really sort of an unhealthy sort of coping mechanism but i was looking for this significance because i felt so invisible Mm -hmm. You're the oldest. Mm -hmm. I'm the youngest. And I noticed how the girls were treated so differently than me. Mm -hmm. Um, And even that there's a great deal of persistence in that today. I feel largely cut out. And I don't know if that's because I am kind of the black sheep. And I don't want to proclaim that on myself, that I'm the black sheep. Mm. But I obviously don't fit into the mold of what's typical. All my siblings, all my sisters have children. Mm. I don't. Mm. All my sisters are women. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously. Right. I'm not. Mm. I mean, I think about the fact that within our family, the masculine energy or whatever you want to call it was very scary i think it's only recent that it's been understood for our family huh Mm -hmm. what do you think that was i think some of the baggage i think for mom some of her imprinting experiences as a kid and some of her imprinting experiences with dad to contrast that i would say that the masculine energy in our family was modeled to me in very healthy ways, much of the time. Yeah. Um, there True. was not a overpowering machismo. Mm-hmm. There was not a lack of communicativeness. Though there were issues inside of the masculinity in our family, um, which is basically me and dad. There was a lot of good. There was a lot of good. The masculinity that was taught to me was sensitive. Mm-hmm. It was thoughtful. Mm-hmm. You're right. The masculinity that was taught to me was modeled as legitimate. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It was still masculine. You're right. And if I'm being honest, God, I have to dive into this since we're here. Yeah. And I have to be honest about a thing that mm-hmm. I've been through. Mm-hmm. And this is scary for me to share. I have to share it. I have to be authentic. Yeah. 
as a teenager, I struggled to understand my masculinity. I struggled to contextualize that. Even with the positive example, even with the positive example. And Hmm. as a young adult, I learned about, you know, feminism and the concept of toxic masculinity. And I started seeing the toxic masculinity in the world all around me. And I started to hate myself. Mm. I started to hate what was between my legs. Mm. I started to say, you know, like these things that are associated with masculinity, that's just not me. I'm thoughtful. So for years, I began to search into the concept of gender, trying to understand my place. My thought was, you know, I was supposed to be a girl because all my sisters Mm. and I was the only boy. Oh, wow. And in 2012, I had come to a place where I was so desperately looking for answers about my identity and who I was that I grew my hair long and I moved to Portland Mm. and my plan was to transition Mm. To become a woman. Mm. And. Fuck. And I began to seek out. What that journey would actually mean. For me. As Mm. a person. This fear that I would never again. Be accepted in my family. Mm. Once you go that. That's a road that you can't come back from. In fact that. That was much of the research that I did had told me, you know, this is a one-way road. Mm. Make sure this is what you want. Once you've had all of the hormone therapies and all of that. Yeah. I was actually asking around about hormone treatments. Sure. But I began doing some research, and I started looking into what it would take to transition. Mm. And I came to a realization while I was doing my research And that was that there was not something wrong with me. Mm. There was something wrong with how masculinity has been reduced to toxic. Mm. Masculinity in and of itself is not inherently toxic. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like toxic masculinity is actually not masculinity. Right. It's just... It's mislabeled. Right. It's just people being assholes. Mm, Totally. So I started to think, you know, instead of leaving my gender behind, why not stay inside of that gender and be an individual who can help redefine it? That's awesome. It's hard Mm -hmm. um, for me to talk about this because it... I, you know, I fear judgment Mm. from people. I fear being reduced to this sort of sick, twisted issue, Mm. you know. I feel a great affinity and love towards the transgender community. Mm. If there are people out there who don't understand the transgender community, 
I would say to them, those individuals are struggling with identity just like the rest of us. Mm -hmm. They are searching for love just like the rest of us. They want respect and honor just like the rest of us. Mm -hmm. And I think we can give it to them. Mm -hmm. I think everybody has woundings and they affect us all differently. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to identity, some of us get caught up in work. Some of us get caught up in family. We all use different things as identity. And many of us have had negative associations with our gender. You Mm. know, many born female Mm. feel like they're only sex objects. Mm. Many born male feel like they are the toxic scum of the world. Predators. Predators, Mm. yeah. And incapable of being sensitive and Mm. kind. I had a transgender friend recently tell me she had originally transitioned from male to female Mm. um, years ago and was asking me about, you know, transitioning back Mm. because she felt so out of place. Mm. Something was wrong. Mm. And I told her, I said, I don't know if your gender is a problem transitioning one direction didn't fix anything Mm. i I think you need to find and love yourself Mm. as you are Mm. because that's a struggle that we all go through no matter what our gender is Mm. i think there's a disillusionment with gender these days because there's so many toxic traits applied to both Mm. both sides Mm. and i know that i don't want those things applied to me Mm. So none of us do. And what I think about when you say that is the characteristics that we take on, some of them are born to us, some of them we decide to have, some of them we take on, some of them we learn. But do they really matter? Like is that who we really quote really are? Well, there's a whole discussion about gender and sex. Yeah. You know, you are born a certain sex. But when you think about gender, like what makes blue male and pink Mm -hmm. female that's a social construct there's there's nothing inherently male or female about certain colors however that sort of social content like what makes a dress a female thing other than the social construct that we have you know like a kilt is a very masculine thing in scotland and yet it's a dress right (laughs) you know no i get that I guess what I'm trying to say is I feel like your answer to your friend was really, really insightful Um, because I think, too, that like who we are, capital letters, who we are, is so beyond just whether I'm female or whether I'm a male. Right. And it's so beyond that in the same way. That's what I was saying about personality in the same way that if you say, well, I'm really outgoing. Right. But yet, does that really describe who I am? Right. It really doesn't. Our identities transcend our, our, our gender. Yeah. Yeah. They do. Now, does it matter? I think it, I think it's a piece of the puzzle. Right. It's culturally relevant. So you know what I mean? Like, I think that all of that is a part of what makes us who we are, but I think who we truly are, it transcends that. 
freaking A. Thank you for sharing what you shared. Yeah, you're welcome. So transitioning from that, are there things that were particularly masculine as a youngster that you really wanted to take part in, but Mm. weren't supposed to because you were a girl? No. It's funny because it was opposite for you. It was you the were, opposite. You for wanted me. to be more girly. I wanted to be more girly, and I wonder, like, was that was that hormonal? Was I like, what was that? I don't know. Because yeah. I can't, I can't relate to that now. That's so funny. In a in a family of four women, it wasn't feminine enough for you. No, no, that wasn't enough estrogen. <laughs> uh, good times. Uh, Lisa, thanks for coming in. Uh, this is Lauren Miller. This is Fortuitous Bites. We're going to take a quick break, um, and we'll come back in a little bit. We're going to have some coffee here and, uh, you know, maybe pet the dog. Do some yoga. Yeah, do some yoga. Do some very uh, masculine or feminine things, whatever. <laughs> All right. Love yourselves, guys. I'll, we'll be right back. Life, love, relationships, having some coffee, enjoying the beautiful rainy weather uh, this evening, this afternoon. I call this podcast weather. Oh, it's podcasting weather. Mm -hmm. Oh, right on. Right on. So I'm kind of curious about your relationships. Your ex-husband is quite a character, I know. Yes, he's a marvelous complex person fascinating sure. fascinating individual yes yeah up until the time that you got divorced and through that divorce what did you learn about relationships and what did that teach you about yourself hmm. well coming into my first marriage i was very unsure of who i was and the part of me that i feel like i did kind of know I was uncomfortable with to say the least yeah I think without realizing it right because so much of our lives we live unconscious unaware yeah looking back it's like I was very much wanting to fit into a mold of well first of all I mean being a wife and mother was what I always wanted from when I was really young. I knew that. I knew that I I loved 
being in a nurturing role with people. And our mom, I mean, she is like... Super mom. Super mom. Yeah. Super, super housekeeper, super domestic engineer. She's amazing. So I had that to look up to and had her example. Did you feel like you had to sort of compete with that? Like you had to... To do, In a that, way, do that, but better. I think I wasn't as much of a competition because I don't feel like I'm a very competitive person. I think it was more for me approving of myself. I was needing, which maybe that's what people do in competition, but for I me, it was proving myself. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Is there a sense in which your identity was very much into your role as a wife and a domestic provider? Yes. Very much. Mother. Very much. But see, I was so uncomfortable with myself that I never stopped for five minutes from the moment that I got married and started hustling. Yeah. I never stopped for five minutes long enough to become more aware of what I was running from. I remember being 17 And feeling so indecisive and feeling like I had to make a decision about what my future was going to look like. And I had no idea what I wanted because I was so, I was running from inadequacy and rejection and failure. Really, it was what what most of us are running from in life. That's what I was running from. And you wanted to go to art school? I wanted to pursue an art degree at some point. I had always dreamed of that ever since I had decided I didn't want to be a ballerina because you had to hold a dime between your butt cheeks and I really didn't want to have to do that the rest of my life. <laughs> but I decided, you know, that was something that I felt like I was good at and I was really nurtured in and had, you know, a lot of art instruction and then I, I just completely lost my nerve for it. Wow. It was much more comfortable for me to pursue the other part of my dream, which was to be a wife and mom. And so that's what I did. It felt like less of a risk. Did that provide the fulfillment that you anticipated it would? Yes and no. In the immediate, I definitely felt all of the things that I was hoping as soon as I became a mom. I wanted children the second that I decided that was something that I wanted you know we were able to have our first baby who was um who's turning 26 this summer (laughs) yeah it was all of my dreams come true in many ways so yes um I loved doing the things that a wife and mother do but no in the sense that it did not it did not take away my self-doubts yeah and in many ways my emotional immaturity because of running from my greatest fears which were to pursue my dreams other dreams it made that worse for me in many ways because i i don't know you can't run from yourself you can only go so far until you meet yourself again yeah and so that started me in many ways, I didn't see myself as an overachiever for those years. Yeah. You know, I went on to have four children yeah. over a span of uh, 15 years. And I homeschooled for 10 of those. Ooh. I mean. <laughs> That's challenging. Right? 
I mean, I supported, you know, my husband as he was starting um, a business, a business yeah. which became very successful very quickly. Uh, we built a home that I oversaw, and I never saw myself as an overachiever, but I'll never forget one time sitting down with um, a marriage counselor, and he looked at both me and my then-husband and said, you guys are both massive achievers. <laughs> right. And I remember never feeling so surprised in all my life because I just looked over at my husband and I was like, are you talking to me? I didn't think of myself in that way. Yeah. But I think it was just me trying, 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 trying. You said a phrase that was really interesting just a second ago about coming back to yourself. And you said that didn't happen until you had some perspective from your divorce. I began to look at some of those things that I had been running from, those feelings, negative feelings. Other people would reflect value to me in my life, but I didn't see it. It It's similar to when that counselor said that. It was like, it's enough already. I'm enough already. It's okay. So then you came back to sort of coming back to yourself. I did. I started that journey a year and a half ago. um, I came up on another life turning point, another crisis in in my life. And looking at what I was doing, basically trying to earn my worth, um, trying... Grasping for your identity. Yeah, grasping for who am I, what is my value. Right. So are you saying that you've believed that you have to manufacture value in yourself as opposed to intrinsic value? You know, head level and heart level, it's two different things. (laughs) I mean, on a head level, no, I don't think that. So explain that. What's the difference between head level and heart level? Okay, so mentally, if you ask me, does a person have to manufacture value? Do they have to do things that make them worth something? I would say no. You know, I mean, that little baby that's laying there in his crib when he's first born can't do anything for anyone, but he's so precious, priceless. Yeah, yeah. But as you go along in life, I mean, you do realize that there are certain things that give you that positive feedback and certain things that give you negative feedback. And you go for those positive things. Yeah, it's sort of like the programming of the world. Totally. Totally. But when I am not doing well, when there's some red flags that come up for me, it's because I am ignoring my own needs and how I'm doing. And I'm I'm pushing past all of those red flags and going, it's okay that, you know, if I were a vehicle, if I were a car, it's okay that my tires are flat. It's okay that my engine light is on, my oil light is on, there's fumes, black smoke. Like, I'm going to keep going because I have to function. So when you say my own needs... I think in American culture, we really get lost in what we think we need. And I think that's why it helps to travel across the world because you begin to separate out what you really need from what you think you need. Mm -hmm. I think what I have come to realize that I truly 
need and that are the very basic core is to be connected to the ultimate truth in that he's existed since before time and he knows everything and he knows me. So to stay connected to him means that I don't reject myself, first of all. But I feel like I had, because of my own ideas about what I thought I wanted or needed, I went after those things and I lost. It seems to me like you lost who you truly were. Definitely. You lost the divinity yep. in in you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think I went after things based on fear, not based on being secure in God's love. Yeah. And fear always makes us the worst version of ourselves. So I, I think I've come up to that reality over and over again in my life that fear makes me the worst version of myself I literally didn't know how to draw healthy boundaries and lines the problem was that I didn't know how to advocate for myself to advocate to even be aware in the first place of what was going on in my head and my heart. I didn't even know that. If you would have said, are you okay? At any given time, I might have said, sure, I'm fine. There were moments where I knew I wasn't fine. So do you feel like you had a degree of self-deception? Absolutely. You had to sort of like... I would say I had a lot. Auto brainwashing. I would say it was it would, that was coping for me. Yeah. That was the coping... Being able to get out of bed every day and get up and do the same crazy routine, for me, it was normal. I lived life at a pace that I look back on and living life in that pace, I could not physically, mentally, emotionally go back to that ever again, God forbid. But for me, up to that point, it was normal. Waking up six o'clock in the morning, going from the time that my feet hit the floor 100 miles an hour trying to catch up in the morning what I didn't get done the night before so that by the end of that day I could still be in the deficit of things that were on my to-do list that needed to get done the next day and just filling up my schedule like crazy in the midst of that I wasn't even stopping I was taking more on so just like mom stuff a lot of that, a lot of what else? projects that I was doing, I needed to slow down. I had to stop that. And it was like detoxing from crazy busyness. So I think learning to know my limits has been a huge part of coming back to myself knowing when to pay attention when there's a red flag up ahead for me where I've reached my limit of something and I need to pay attention to that. You know, there's times to push past your limits and, you know, 
there's ways of pushing past limits, but I think as a lifestyle, pushing past the limit, what we can comfortably tolerate while still coping in healthy ways. To have your needs met in healthy ways that you're saying that you don't have to meet your needs in unhealthy ways that you can meet them in healthy ways. Yes. Yes. And you have wells that you draw from for different things. You know, some people make you laugh. Yeah. Some people make you think deeply and connect with those deepest parts of yourself. The the key is knowing knowing how to go to those wells when you are exhausted and you need to be refilled. And isn't there something to be said that you don't have to do it alone? Huge. Because doing it alone sort of says, I don't need help. Which is truly a fallacy. It is. It's a lie. It's image management to a point where I have cut people out of my life at the times where I needed them the most. Wow. Because I didn't know if they would reject me if I was that needy or imperfect. And so the old thing that my friends have always said about me is, I know that if you don't answer the phone, you're not doing well. Yeah. And do you feel like you've learned from that? I think, yes, I would say, you know, you have to know who you can truly be vulnerable with. Right. Your safety. Yes. Yeah. So there's no pressure to be vulnerable with everyone all the time. Yeah. Um, I used to feel really inauthentic. If I wasn't willing to tell my story to whoever asked me, that's not something that they've earned. And then there's other people in my life who they've absolutely earned that place. Yeah. And you're one of them. Mm. I love you, Lisa. <laughs> I love you too. My sister. <laughs> So do you feel like you've found a degree of healing uh, and authenticity and ability to be vulnerable that you, I mean, a new level that you haven't felt before? Oh, yeah. I would say it's off the charts. I mean, comparatively. And I would say probably the biggest thing that I now wake up in the morning with that I would give anything to give my kids is just this knowledge of how very much we are all in the same boat together. Every person that you know, that I know, that that I love, that I care about, wakes up every day with the same condition, and that is the condition of perfect imperfection. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, that is all for this edition of The Fortuitous Bites. I'd like to thank my sister, Lisa Moore, for coming in. I've been your host, Lauren Miller. Make sure and remember, your value transcends your gender. Be kind to yourselves. Nurture your brains. And as always, fight fear and hatred by spreading kindness. Kindness.